Mayonnaise! Mayonnaise! It's the Sopranos Podcast. Season 3, Episode 11. Stopping by woods on a snowy evening. I know I'm not perfect, but I do the right thing by my family. Doesn't that count for anything? That is a quote from Tony Soprano in a therapy scene in one of the craziest Sopranos episodes ever, possibly one of the best and one of the most talked about by fans. It is season three, episode 11, entitled Pine Barrens, with a teleplay by Terrence Winter, written by Terrence Winter and Tim Van Patten, directed by Steve Buscemi. That's a name. What a job he does on his Sopranos directorial debut. That's right. Pine Barrens. <laughs> this is one of the episodes when we started the podcast I was excited to get to. I was thinking about like, man, I can't wait to get to Pine Barrens with these guys because it's just so fun. I have to keep an eye on myself for time's sake not to go down a quote rabbit hole because this is one of the most quotable episodes in the entire show. It has so many funny lines. Terrence Winter and Tim Van Patten. Two giants of television writing, uh, so this is bound to be an all-time classic, but let's get into it. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we're here. This is an epic season three episode. It's an all-timer for many fans. Initial thoughts on Pine Barrens. For me, this is The Sopranos at its best. Uh, one of my favorite episodes, it would certainly rank in the top probably three for me that I've seen so far in the first three seasons of the show. I think everything in this episode works so, so well. I was discussing this with Paul and with and with Chris, with both of you in the, in the pre-show. I, I refer to this kind of episode as the wheel, right? It catches the high and the low. Mm. If you are a uh, person who just watches The Sopranos because you like some real gangster shit, right? You just <laughs> like it because it's cool and it's funny. This is a fun, funny episode full of hijinks, right? Gangster activity and Tony's life is a nightmare, right? Um if you're a highbrow Sopranos viewer, like you're a, a watcher of cinema, right? Mm. Uh, this has some really nice existential ruminations, and you get to see like this really uh, interesting sheet of tension become more and more taut as Tony is pulled in three directions, right? His home life and his obligations to his family, his uh, romantic life with his mistress, with you know, with Gloria, and his obligation to his mob family. Do I go save Paulie and Christopher myself and do this job that clearly needs? my practiced hand, hmm. right? And not really choosing any of those three things and fucking it all up. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot, that it, it, the wheel uh, appeals to different things. There's certainly something... I always assumed that this episode was most popular because of the fun storyline, where people don't even really refer to it as the Pine Barrens episode. They refer to it as the one where Polly and Christopher get lost in the woods. Well, yeah, and it's funny. That always makes it more popular, because it is probably one of the... As far as... Funny lines written, one of the funniest in the whole series so far. For sure. It, and it, uh, it also, I think, demythologizes the gangsters nicely. The other big thing is that you could argue that the episode does serve as a really nice metaphor for the gangster life in the show overall, particularly Tony trying to create this balance in his life because in this episode it yeah. just doesn't work. Another thing structurally, maybe not every Sopranos episode, usually Sopranos episodes have different and separate storylines that maybe weave in and out of each other a bit, but often work independently. They might complement each other more thematically. Here the different storylines crash into each other. And it creates a different kind of rising tension and dynamism. What Jordan referred to of what Tony is going to choose. What he's going to put his uh, weight and heft and attention on. And this episode served as a nice reminder for me that uh, multitasking obviously just doesn't work. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I'm multitasking. It's like, no, you're specifically doing a shit job on everything. So this is how this kind of operates in this episode. And it just, yeah, it does make for a really fun episode... But as Jordan said, we are wrestling with some heavy shit here, starting yeah. right from the beginning. Tony is the linchpin. He's always the linchpin, but particularly in this episode. He's the middle of the wheel, if we're talking about uh, yeah. a wheel mm -hmm. of a different sort. Everything is spinning around him, and there's such a beautiful tension throughout the whole time of him trying to juggle all of this stuff. And you almost feel for him for it, because it's just... It's an unmanageable situation. No human on earth could do this. And Tony's a good boss, all things considered. Uh, but he just can't manage all of it. And then on top of that, you have these amazing feature performances in this episode. Annabella Sciorra as Gloria yes. really comes out. She's had 
some great work so far. This, to me, is really a coming-out party for her in this episode. And it's also Chris and Polly, uh, two beloved fan-favorite characters for various reasons. Stuck in the woods, it's a comedy of errors, it's hilarious, but it's also... There's an unsettling undertone to all of it that sure. remains. And also, Steve Buscemi is a new directorial hand on the show is so valuable because we do get, with the Terrence Winter script, we get this lost-in-the-woods feeling being woven through all the narratives in this episode where no one can quite line up and find each other or you mm-hmm. find something by accident. And it's um, it has that uh, kind of ominous haphazardness to it. Uh, it's really, really good. Yeah. Life has these serendipities. Too much of them in a show can start to feel fake or phony or, oh, come on, like that really happened. But every once in a while, life does this thing to you. You run into someone at a place you really shouldn't have, and it's like such a chance encounter. Or you something happens that's like, my God, the odds of that were so astronomical. So these things do happen, and then this episode has that, and I like, I love it for it. Yeah. So yeah, G-L-O-R-I-A, Gloria. We're going right from the top here. There are three plot lines in this episode, and um, there's some of them are very you know too intertwined, I think, to to take on separately. So we're gonna go through top to bottom here again. But we have Tony and Gloria, Tony and his family, we have Chris, Paulie, and the Russian, and then there's a C plot which touches down maybe three or four times throughout the episode between Meadow and Jackie and how that's all going. So, right. Not well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we'll start from the top. G-L-O-R-I-A, Gloria's playing the song and she comes into the boat. She's back from Morocco, her holiday trip. Uh, we got a little break from her in the last episode. And Arena calls, the last girlfriend. She left her religious medal on the boat. Oh, you mean Mrs. Washington from uh, AJ's yeah, Mrs. school. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> yes, Mrs. Washington. The most American name for somebody with an, a non-American accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so Tony comes in at just the right time. He's got a bag of ice. He must have stepped out at just the wrong three minutes and takes the call. Does as good a job as you can do on his end of covering it up, but it's the, the, the jig is up. He hangs up, tries to play it off, says hello, and confesses, hey, you know, that might not have been a teacher. Uh, and <laughs> Gloria's like, oh, <laughs> really? She was so convincing. Very funny here. And then they get into a very, this escalate, you know, like the meme on the internet. That escalated quickly, the Will Ferrell meme uh, <laughs> from Anchorman. It's like, this. it did escalate quickly. All of a sudden, she's up and, you know, she doesn't like his motivation for lying or the way he phrased it. I didn't want to piss you off. Not the right way to word that, perhaps, but she's also blowing it out of proportion. So these two personalities are clashing and she storms out, not before throwing the gift she got him into the bay. Yeah. It looked like the look on Tony's face at the end suggested that he did not see this coming Mm -hmm. and he barely has it registered. Mm. It seems it, it all happened. It seemed in his perspective very fast. Yeah, it is. Uh, the reaction is so caustic. Yeah, and um, I, I understand hurt feelings, of course. But like, it's so much. This is an ex girlfriend who called. This is kind of a common occurrence, I would say. Yeah. You know, uh, and his lie is not that bad. Yeah. Right. It's like I, uh, you know, he knows he doesn't want to talk about this. Like, what is to be revealed? It's not like he's still seeing this person. Right. right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's so much of reaction, but that's that's the point, right? The point is that her reaction is overblown, and he has to be like, "Oh fuck, what just happened?" Yeah, and it's also particularly jarring. Let's not forget the context here. She's been away on a trip. Normally, when you come back to somebody you enjoy being around, especially after a trip, it's much more jovial and and oh right. hey, I'm so happy to see you. Yes. It's been a while. Yes. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Right. So for this to not only happen, not six months into an affair or eight years into a relationship and you're bickering right to happen at a pretty hot and steamy affair early on after some time away not a good sign not a good start here important to note as we get into the back part of this episode paulie is so paulie is primping here he wants the satin finish he's getting his manicure paulie (laughs) takes care of himself you know he cares very much about how he looks he's always at Satrials, he's working on his tan. So he's going to go with the satin finish this time around. And he gets this call. Silvio needs to pick up money from this guy, Valerie, who we met in the last episode. He was the drunk outside of Slava's office. Right. And he can't. He's got the flu. I'm sending him home with the flu. 
Paul is like, what the, f-? you know, he he can't believe that he's being summoned to do this. <laughs> when Tony says he's got the flu, Paulie, even though there's zero indication that there's an actual reception problem, says, I didn't hear that tone. What what you say? <laughs> he's got sick. the he's sick. He's got the flu. <laughs> like almost if Paulie wanted him to have to say that again. So yeah, and also a funny precursor to what's going to come because a lot of this episode is told through broken communication channels and static on the phone and interrupting conversations. Right, yeah, the lost in the woods feeling, right? You can't get quite in touch with each yeah, other, right? Exactly. My estimation of the character goes down here, I have to say. Um, not that Polly was ever like a super nice guy, but there's so many things that go awry <clears throat> because of him. A ser- so many unforced errors mm-hmm. and just completely boneheaded perspectives. Like, I don't even know why they deal with Russians. Uh, yeah. Tony has to... Put him through the paces. <laughs> mm-hmm. You want to guess? Yeah. They make us money. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, yeah. But it's so funny. Obviously resents the hell out of this. Um, and it's perfect. Well, we find Did, out in another scene or two, he's not too fond of Russians in general, it seems. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, it's such, such a perfect setup with him so dainty, um, mm-hmm. given the humiliations that he'll go through. Yes. Next scene in therapy, Tony and Karma back together in Melfi's office. They're worried about Jackie, this thing with Jackie, and they're just kind of having this conversation of, you know, hey, it didn't have to be this way. Tony blew it with Noah. Again, we're reminded that Tony, you know, although I think they would have ended up broken up anyway, but they don't know that. And so they're discussing this Jackie Jr. situation. It's weighing on Tony. This is another thing just pulling on Tony's attention in the corner of his mind. He probably still hasn't resolved his feelings or thoughts about what to do with Jackie since their last meeting on Christmas morning. So nothing's changed there for Tony. And then we get to this Scrabble game. <laughs> Could I just say it cuts from the end of the therapy session where they don't yell. There's no rancor, as Melfi says. And yeah. Tony says, it's the therapy. We're learning how to communicate. Yeah. Cut from communicate to the Scrabble board with Jackie uh, Jackie Jr.'s extensive grammar skills. Yeah. <laughs> and brilliant word choices. And uh, Meadow chooses the word oblique. Mm. Uh, which of course means, as she defines, it's a, you know it's indirect, right? Yeah. Um, so much of this episode, as we've already uh, intimated, is about not being able to directly communicate, right? About mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, missed missives and uh, not being able to really say what it is that's happening. You can't get in contact. You can't communicate effectively, right? Yeah. It's uh, you know it's no no one has anybody's direct attention. It's right. bleak. And everyone's a little diminished. Sill is sick. Meadow's sick. Everyone else's attention is sprawled out. Chris is hungry. No one's at their full. No one's at 100% here. Right. Except maybe Valerie, but we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, oh, but even he's... Please, he know. washes his balls in ice water. I mean, Valerie is fine. <laughs> I, I had a note if Valerie were at 100%, Chris and Polly would have been dead. Dead, yeah, Correct. that's actually yeah. That's 100% true. So, Jackie's such a piece of shit here. I felt horrible for Meadow. He's very obviously bored. He, he, he puts ass down... You know, which could be a funny joke when you're playing Scrabble if your other words aren't the and poo, as we'll see uh, when Meadow's examining the board a little bit later on. Yeah. But it asks, and how about giving me some? Jackie, I'm sick. Okay, no sex. <laughs> Jackie's bored. He's looking at, he checks his fucking watch. He's, I mean, you're on a date. And this is, you're still pretty early in your relationship. And he asks her if she wants to do ecstasy. She says no. And then he gets up and so it's like, he's just his, he's like, it's like, Watching someone with ADD, which is unfortunate and not anybody's fault, but also having a bad personality. So it's like... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's like, ah, I felt for Meadow here. She looks... They did a great job making her look sick. Yep. But, you know, he's just like, yeah, I'm going to go, you know, I, I got to study for... I'm, I'm, I'm wiped anyway. And she thought he meant in the game, but he meant, no, I'm just going to go. So he's, yeah. he, this isn't what he wants to be doing, and he doesn't No, care. you know, he doesn't seem to think that she's worthy of his time. I mean, she's not feeling well. She just wants to spend time with him. Mm-hmm. He's got other priorities, I guess. So can't be more clear this ain't going well. As Jordan mentioned, the choice of the word oblique, uh, not being able to see clearly, and do we have our own blinders on? Is that why Tony can't yeah. see these certain things about Gloria just yet? And Meadow, in spite of what we know, she's bright. Yeah. It seems to take her a little bit to see through maybe the affection that she has for Jackie to see some of the clues that have started to pile up. Yeah. Later yeah. in the episode, just her looking at the Scrabble board like, right. oh, this guy's not 
That scene makes me Not laugh every time. Yeah. When the it's like we have director Steve Buscemi on The Sopranos, one of the most sophisticated and beloved television dramas of all time, and we have a close-up angled shot of the word "poo" on a Scrabble. Board. <laughs> That's where we are with this Jackie Jr. character. Right. Though it's very Coen Brothers. This whole <laughs> yes. episode is very Coen Brothers, mm. of whom Steve Buscemi has been uh, sitting at the master's feet, so to speak. So I thought that was a Coen Brothers esque shot as well. Yep. The messed up hit in the snow had a lot of people talking. Fargo and yep. Miller's Crossing. Yep. So mm-hmm. this is a very Cohen's um, inspired or Cohen's affected episode. Mm-hmm. And Steve Buscemi's right in the pocket, you know. So Chris and Polly are going to Valerie's to pick up the money. They're having. Uh, I have to get. We have to not get bogged down in quotes because this episode will be three hours. But they're talking about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Polly's <laughs> Polly. The conversation was like clearly Polly trying to tell Christopher that Russians are terrible, and Chris is probably like, "Why?" And he's just like, "What about the Cuban Missile Crisis?" Fumu, you know, and then uh, Chris says, I saw that movie. I thought it was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great line. They go into Valerie's, uh, and Paulie just can't not talk shit here. This is the most simple thing he's ever been sent to do. Yes. Go to somebody's house, pick up an envelope that he has ready. It's not even like he's playing games with you. Like, oh, I have to go get, get it together, or oh, I'm a little shy. It's like, nope, your money's up there, you know. He has Silvio's money. He's sitting here. And Paulie's just like, uh, you know, whatever, sorry if we woke you. And then Chris says, sorry if we woke you. And then Paulie says, are the other 30 people who live here? <laughs> Which is the first little little knock on there. And Paulie's just like looking at all this shit, picks up the universal remote. Look at this. Universal remote. Probably wiped your ass barehanded until you came to this country. This guy, Valerie, we're going to find out more about him in a few minutes, but he's not going to take too much of this. So, <laughs> Right. Well, that's, that's part of the other problem with the scene, right? It's not only is Paulie insulting and ignorant, in addition to being principled and selfish, which he always is, right? Mm-hmm. It's that this guy, they don't know this man. Mm-hmm. They have stereotyped as, yeah, just another some, some Russian, right? The same kind mm-hmm. of, you know, trash that uh, Furio and Tony beat up in the previous episode, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not the case, right? This guy's a badass motherfucker, yeah. right? He's not the guy you fuck with. Yes, no, correct. So fucking funny. And there not being any rubles in there. Just all these knocks. He, uh, you know, he tells him, Universal Remote, put down on docking station. And Paulie makes him repeat it, which he does. Doesn't back down. And Paulie just, whoops, drops it. Chris is like, come on, what is this, Paulie? And uh, that's it. It's on. He calls Paulie a cocksucker and is about to get up, and that's it. What'd you say? Paulie grabs the bottle, and we're off to the races. What a calamity. What a clusterfuck. They just had to pick up the money. And they're wrestling. This guy is fighting Paulie off. He throws Paulie. Chris hops onto his back. Paulie, where the fuck are you? Paulie's still getting up. They manage to choke him out with the lamp, but even so, it's not easy. I wrote that this is. One of the moments, when you're invested in it, you don't always notice it, but on a repeated viewing, you kind of like, this is good fight blocking. This is very realistic. It's not a stylized karate kick. Also, this dude's drunk as hell. Yes. And is very close to taking them both out. Yeah. Yeah. Drunk and older than he was in his Special Forces days. Right. And And unarmed. And unarmed. And And in his pajamas. (laughs) Yes. So, I just wrote, so unnecessary. They choke him with the lamp. Great fight blocking. They crack this windpipe, they think he's dead, they grab the big rug on his wall, they roll him up, take him out. This is already not going well. Right. So, maybe it's at its worst. They killed the guy, okay, this is a problem, we'll get rid of him, nothing ever happened. So, so far, they're not totally up Shit's Creek, but this is not very good. So, we're back with Tony and Gloria, she apologizes... She's naked in bed. She looks very sexy, very 180 from where we just saw her. She's playful with him. She brings, she gives him this Moroccan robe. And uh, they get into it. And we're cutting back and forth kind of rapidly now because now we're going to start to see how these external things are going to be affecting Tony's day because this is going to be not a very long, confusing day for Tony. Polly calls Tony from a gas station interrupts them in the middle of their tryst. Tony gets up, takes it to the bathroom. You were just supposed to pick up the money, he says, which is very true. We had a problem. Prick sucker punched me. 
Chris gives him a look. Great like, little yeah, look. Great little, like, uh, that's what we're saying now. <laughs> yeah. So Chris is so now you, you also see the jeopardy on Chris's face. Not only is he probably annoyed with Polly for this happening in the first place, but now he's roped Chris into this lie where Chris is either gonna have to choose to back Polly's story or not. And you see it on Chris's face. And uh, we're dealing with, I wrote, we're dealing with 2001 cell phones, which are not as reliable. Shit like this did happen. You'd get crackly. You're in the wrong part of a building. You'd get little intercepts from other people off a nearby tower. We're already getting that here. Tony keeps flushing the toilet to try to drown out uh, what he's saying so Gloria doesn't hear him, even though she tells him, well, that was a big fucking waste of water. (laughs) Yeah, she heard every word. Yeah. So, tension's rising, right? How's this all going? What do you guys think of all this so far? Uh, big comedy of errors vibe. This is usually the inciting incident in a Coen Brothers movie, right? Mm-hmm. That something has gone awry with something very simple. Uh, hey, Lebowski, you just gotta drop off this money. You know, it's very <laughs> simple. But, like, of course, it's the very simple things that spiral out of control and become more and more complicated. Yep. Um, again, this word oblique being, like, a guide word for us. If Tony actually gave any one of these problems his full attention, the episode would be short. Yeah. Right? If he actually sat down with Gloria and was like, let's spend some time together. You just got back from vacation. I don't want to make it seem like I'm ignoring you. Let's just be here for a while. Uh, the, you know, situation with the Russian, let me handle this myself or be more hands-on here. But it's the it's the delegating. It's not doing anything directly. It's just mm. that it's, it's really what's, what's fueling this uh, uh, fire. It's going to burn out of control. Mm. Yep. Yeah, there's, and there's all these aspects to it that I think perhaps Tony hasn't considered, either because he's not seeing them directly or because he's got his blinders on but it, there's a there's a powerful pull also to Gloria I don't think it's an accident that she's taken whatever piece of roping or uh, ornamented rope around the bathroom that she gave him and she's whipping Tony with it yeah um, so she's both alluring and dangerous yeah um, all this is adding up yep so they make a nine o'clock London broil date. Tony wanted to take her out to lunch. She says, you are my lunch. So she's got to get back, sell some cars. She is a busy, efficient woman. So, you know, they make a date to have dinner. More meat. More meat. Yep. Yep. And uh, we get a little bit more information out of Chris and Paulie here. They're discussing it. And Paulie presents a vision, which if it goes well, the day might end, this all might end up okay. Listen, we'll go bury the guy down in Pine Barrens. We're 20 minutes outside AC. We'll go clean up in a room, have a steak at Morton's, hit some blackjack. We are all fans of Atlantic City. Sounds, sounds like, like a, a nice night. Yeah, sounds yeah. like a great night. So maybe this is all going to work out. Chris is a little hungry. He didn't have breakfast. Most important meal of the day. Paul lectures him. <laughs> maybe we stop at Roy Rogers. Nah, we'll go down to AC. You know, let's just do this quick. Get it done. You know. I'm already laughing. <laughs> Chris is like, I'm fucking starving. He's not quite there, but... All right, all right. He, you see him. You see him make the decision. He's not going to die on this hill, but he is hungry. There's still, yeah. There's still, particularly Paulie is entertaining the idea that the day won't quote be a total loss. <laughs> so, if the circumstances progress that way, this would have been a very short, fun story to tell over dinner the next night. But uh, not the case as we as we know. Oh, hey, Chris, can you pump your own gas in New Jersey? Not anymore. I don't know if that was the case in 2001. But. I don't think you could. I, th- I think I remember hearing something about how they deliberately... Th- this this conversation has to be private. Yeah. And, but, you know, people in Jersey would know that that's an inaccuracy, but I think people kind of let it go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. At some point they passed that law, so to, as it was a job creation piece of legislation, that to, in Jersey... People pump your gas. It actually has spoiled me when I go to other states now because it's like, oh, shit, I got to get out and pump this. Even though that's what I grew up with my whole life. I prefer it in New York. I like getting my own gas. Yeah. I don't like somebody pumping it for me. No. I don't know. Well, I've gotten used to it. I didn't like it at first either. I felt the same way, but I've, I've gotten used to it. But yeah. yeah, I don't know when that law was passed, though. It might be an inaccuracy, but eh, whatever the conversation. Yeah, they can't like sit there and have this while some guy is standing right by their window. So it made sense. In any case, I wrote down these gangsters plan and God laughs. <laughs> yes. We're back to Melfi's office. Tony's saying things are going well. You know, life seems good. He's he's putting on a good... This is the second time he's been alone in Melfi's office in the, in the last two episodes and said something to the effect of, hey, life is good, I'm happy. But he finally comes clean, and this is where it gets interesting. He tells Melfi that he's dating Gloria. I'm seeing that girl that I met here, you know, that Gloria. And Melfi... 
There's a sense of relief, but also dread on Melfi. You can read it on her. Why Gloria? And Tony goes into this. She's smart, sexy, Italian. She makes me happy. Does she seem happy to you? Interesting question. Melfi's really trying to give a hint here. She can't tell him. She can't come flat out. Not only because, even under normal circumstances, doctors, uh, psychiatrists are encouraged to lead patients to their own conclusions rather than spell it out for them. The only time she broke that rule was to tell him about his mother and the borderline personality disorder during the crisis in season one. But also now, because Gloria is also a patient, she has issues of doctor-patient confidentiality that she has to respect. This is like HIPAA stuff. This is, uh, by law, she can't tell Tony anything that might be useful here, but she has to do something. You know, this is not good. And she knows this isn't good. Tony said, you said yourself, things are going good. And she said, yeah, but it's all predicated on a lie, predicated on my ass. What's the difference? (laughs) And he lays it out with this line that just made me feel angry at Tony. Because I hate, I hate these moments. I understand that she knows what she's gotten into here and she knows it's not going to be all sunshine and roses with this guy. But when Tony denigrates what she does to her, it always gets me upset because she works so hard with him and she really tries and has given up a lot for this therapeutic relationship. So when he says something like, she makes me happier than your Prozac and therapy bullshit combined, I get a little annoyed with Tony and I was like, ah, that's, you know, you know, I didn't like that. Yeah. I mean, and you're onto something there too because by the end of the episode, he'll be in therapy wanting Melfi then to, I guess, account for why this this soothing balm on his life is now a complete fucking mess. Yeah. It's like, no, first you weren't doing anything, now you have to solve the problem for me. And I'm also going to be wondering why I'm not getting better. I mean, it's self-sabotage. It's, it's, being, it's losing yourself in the woods. Yeah. So they got Valerie in the trunk. They've pulled off into the Pine Barrens. It's kind of this snowy, abandoned picnic area. Got... Valerie in the trunk. Chris mentions again how hungry he is. And as they pop open the trunk, surprise! The fact that he was drunk, maybe they knocked him out or something, or he just had a momentary lapse. But he has partially freed himself from the rug he was wrapped and taped in. He's like chewed out. He's like chewed out of the tape. Through the tape. Yeah. Pretty amazing. (laughs) You have to wonder at some point if they had gone a little further had this guy might have even gotten out of it entirely oh i think i think so (laughs) we're kind of led to believe this guy is like um a jason Bourne type yeah i mean really we'll get more into it or at least the the shadow of one because he's 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 not he's past his prime but But also he's um again we'll get into it once we get our our other scene uh, later but um this is a guy who's just more capable in this situation than paul and chris combined you know just Yeah. yeah it's like Literally, it seems they, as it happens, the Pine Barrens, this this venue they've taken them to, is ecologically, uh, in terms of environment, like very close to what it was. Uh, I imagine like fighting a guerrilla war in Chechnya. Yeah, this is the mid. They've taken him home essentially. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is warm, he says. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Washed my balls in ice water. Yeah, yeah. No, Siberia is one of the worst places on earth, and this guy's like, you know, lived it. He's lived this. Yeah, exactly. They brought him. They might as well have just walked him right, you know, to the wilderness surrounding Moscow. It's like, and they give him a weapon. Yeah. <laughs> give him a shovel. They're underestimating him. They don't know what they're dealing with, even after the fact, because they're just so, you know, they think they have it under control. Chris and Paulie, by the way, have a success track record of killing guys in the woods. I remember Mikey Palmisi in season one. So, you know, they think they got this locked up. But he's still alive. They pistol whip him. They walk him out. They're kind of taunting him. He just, like, casually spits in the air. He's barefoot. Like, Chris and Paulie are shivering. They're bundled up. And he's just like, eh. Very important. He's got no fear of death. Yeah. This man doesn't give a fuck about what's happening to him, yeah. right? And I'm just, like, looking at this, you know, and I'm thinking, like, bravery, foolishness, like, whatever it is. Like, actually, he doesn't care. He's yeah. just waiting for the moment. He's going to do his thing. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We've said before, you've said before, Chris, that the character Christopher on the show is unofficial. He's an unofficial marksman. He's like a dead shot. Yeah. It was it was Chris that got Mikey Palmisi. Yeah, that's when he clipped him in season one. 
But when Valerie strikes out with that shovel, he hits Chris right in the head. Yep. Is Dong that why Chris doesn't really have a shot? I think so. After that? Oh, yeah. He, yeah. He and that's why they're dependent on Polly getting that one uh, okay shot? Yeah. Again, we, we, don't, we don't ever get a scene with Chris at the doctor the next day getting his head looked at. But he, had a con- he got concussed, at least. First of all, that man is massive. Second of all, it was a fucking metal shovel that was digging through ice and snow and dirt. So it's a sturdy-ass shovel. And Chris is fucking... Ble- he says, I think I got a concussion. Uh, you know, he's yeah. fucking... He's his, head's gonna be, his head's going to be swelled up, and it opened him up, I mean. Again, no spoilers, but this is the only time up to this point Chris has, like, missed some somebody he was shooting yeah. at, so... Yeah, well, again, this guy, he knows how to run in snow. He knows how to evade bullets. Um, he gets clipped by Pauly. And we think it's a headshot, and actually the camera, it's its so quick, you can't really tell, did this guy's head get blown off or what, but obviously not, because they don't find the body. And the blood splatter stops mm-hmm. mid-snowfall, which, again, it, it is more for the narrative. It's supposed to evoke, like, well, this guy could be anywhere. Uh, you know, They but- even fuck Steve Buscemi fucks with you with that shot from up in a tree as if we could be Valerie watching them. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is awesome. But in my mind, in the story that I told myself, like, yeah, this guy got his wound under control, and he knows how not to be tracked, and he's gone. And now what the fuck are you going to do? You're in the middle of the woods. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah, it's Like diehard shit. <laughs> <laughs> the tracks just stop. It's a frightening moment. That has to be a frightening moment for them. Also, i got to comment on the irony here. Paulie telling him while he's digging that mouth ears, you got to learn to shut the fuck up. Yeah. It was his mouth that got him all into this. Yeah. Polly is the one who needs to shut up. And the both of them in their ineptitude and how they're frankly a couple of spoiled Americans next to this guy. Yeah. You know, suggest they're going to have trouble they're, and they're not going to be able to depend on each other as well as, say, Valerie and Slava did. Mm-hmm. AJ's watching TV. Tony gives Polly a call to follow up here. And uh, he doesn't get good news. Yeah, there's been a problem. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> yeah. kidding. <laughs> the... It's like, you know, I, I know you can't see what I'm doing with my hand here, but they go to pick up the money and then the the danger ratchets up to a 10 when they have the body in the truck because the Slava's a fellow gangster and Tony has a meeting with him later and they've just killed somebody they're not supposed to kill, so who knows what the implications of this are, but maybe if they cover it up and then he's not alive, gets away, hits Chris in the head, and leaves them abandoned in the woods. The danger went from 10 to 90. <laughs> so, this is real bad. Tony's freaking out in his kitchen. Is there any way the package could survive? AJ's like listening like, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> it's the, the, least, yeah. the least subtle phone conversation <laughs> yeah, exactly. that the ever-careful Tony has ever had. Yeah. God damn it, he's yelling. I have a meeting with Slava later. I could be walking into a fucking buzzsaw. Hangs up. The look on AJ's face almost said to me, like, even I'm not that stupid. Yeah, right. I mean, right. what does a package surviving mean? Yeah. Right. That can't be anything else. Yeah. So th- these are bleeding together. It's messy. Yeah. And if you think, and I know Chris and Paulie are probably posturing for each other here because they don't realize just how deep in the shit they are. They're trying to be in denial. But they're deciding, do we look for this guy or whatever? And Paulie gives the flimsiest justification for going back to the car ever. Fuck it. The squirrels will eat him anyhow. Ridiculous line. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, they're like, how are we going to get back to the car? They're kind of arguing about what direction they came from. And Paulie gives a very reasonable thing. It's probably what I would have thought of eventually, even though I didn't spend four years in the Army. He says, four years in the Army, kid. We just follow our own footprints. Yeah. Nope. Which I think would work in any other circumstance, but the rules of this episode just seem to be like, you can't plan for anything in this episode. Sometimes yeah. <laughs> life just fucks you hard. Yep, yep. And we get a long kind of establishing shot of the Pine Barrens in their totality. And I recently drove through the Pine Barrens to get to AC. There was traffic on the highway, so the GPS kind of took me a little bit off-roading a little bit. It's a scary place. It's just yeah. trees. It's weird that it's even in New Jersey because it's not what I sure. think. You know, well, and they, they talk about that later. It's well, like, we're in fucking New Jersey. Yeah, well, the characterization of Jersey is always North Jersey. Yeah. Right? It is always the much more populous, much more urban and suburban part of the state. And people, for the most part, don't really talk about South yeah. Jersey when they're referring to true New Jersey. Right? Yep. Uh, it's kind of the same thing with upstate New York when we talk about New York. Actually, that's that's pretty much the equivalent, right? South Jersey has a lot of wilderness, has a lot of parks, things mm-hmm. like that. It is foreign. It is yeah. alien to these characters who are used to the snarl of North Jersey yeah. and 
the swamps and the traffic and the city and the that business suddenly they're they are totally out of their element they want us to feel stranded with them right and yeah. and there's this this establishment of south jersey as being this other place yep so we find out they've gone in just a big circle here. We're lost. Paulie gives this line that I use all the time. We're not lost. Stop getting cunty. <laughs> <laughs> These two are starting to grate on each other. Chris's hunger has definitely got to be eating at him. Ha ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then Tony goes into his meeting with Slava, who we met, and we just said last time we liked this guy. So likable, yeah. yeah. He's just a very kind of simple, nice guy. He goes in, his, I think his daughter or granddaughter is sitting there studying she yes know. and his very large nickel-plated gun is just like well, sitting right on his desk that's not subtle is it yeah yeah uh, and before tony sees the daughter he's looking around to see who's near the office yeah if anybody yep his his antenna's up and tony's sitting differently in his last meeting with slava he was very forthright and sitting across from him if you look at the way he's blocked in the scene by the, you know, the director or whoever decided he needs to be sitting this way He's kind of sitting sideways so that he can just look easily to the door. Right, doesn't want his back to the door, yeah. Yep. He sees that gun, that big-ass, you know, nickel-plated gun that's pointed in the direction away from the desk. It's it's all there, you know, under a normal circumstance. Maybe yeah. he wouldn't have even thought twice about this stuff, but this sure. is not a normal circumstance. I guess we are to take it that Slava is more open about his relationship to organized crime with his daughter than Tony ever was with his kids, right? Because she works, she's yeah. sitting at that same desk doing, I don't know, her studies or her homework, or whatever, and he's just sitting there with a gun out. I mean, she, yeah. there could be no doubt as to what her father does, right, for yeah. her. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't surprise me. But uh, we get a little, uh, you know, Slava's just like, hey, uh, did he get Silvio's money? Because I told him. And, you know, they're getting along. He's very, he seems like a guy, he, like he's a guy who's got a good head on his shoulders. And under normal circumstances, this probably isn't a guy Tony would worry about. But, again, fuck. So... They talk, and we get this story about uh, this guy, Tony Asa, that guy that was out there last time. And he mentions he is tragic figure. They served together in, like, the Russian special forces, you know, so real deep Soviet Union shit. And they were, like, kind of Russian Green Berets, as Tony describes them later. And that he, uh, this guy, Valerie, saved his life, but has fallen in recent years, diminished to drugs and alcohol abuse and addiction. And we see that Slava's legitimately moved by the fall of this guy and then gives this line that has to put a knot in Tony's stomach. I'd do anything for him. And he cries. Yeah, he cries in front of him. Perfect to me, the epitome of Soprano's irony that Tony points out, oh, you're emotional and uh, the guy is affected by it. And then it cuts to Tony outside where Tony has (laughs) taken from this conversation the important information not precisely being that there's a connection here, there is a danger because of Slava's connection to Valerie, but all the stuff about how <laughs> tough Valerie is yeah. is really the prize. It's like, this guy cannot come back yeah. and tell the story. <laughs> yeah. This is not, it's not an option, and you better get your fucking shit together because yeah. this is not just some asshole. This guy was like an ex-commando or some yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah, He repeats it twice because they're having connection issues. He killed 16 Chechen rebels. Guy was with the Interior Ministry. And tells him, yeah, this... Uh, and then... Uh, <laughs> we the, just misinterpreted. Misinterpreted. There's a loss in translation moment after they hang up. You're not going to believe this. He killed 16 Czechoslovakians. <laughs> guy was an interior decorator. His which apartment is, looked like shit. <laughs> <laughs> two great lines in a row they take a joke well, like if it was just he killed, if I was an interior decorator they could have stopped it there and then they had to add that other line how like shit this episode is 20 years old I still laugh at that exchange it's so funny it's per- yeah. delivered perfectly by these actors it's so I was good. an interior decorator yep uh, <laughs> this house looked like shit so <laughs> Passage of time, they're looking, they're shivering, Paulie's breathing into his hands, he's trembling. Alright, the sun's setting over there, and Chris is like, what the fuck difference is that? He's like, at least we know what direction we're headed. Chris is getting very snippy, uh, he's had enough of this, these guys have had enough. They don't give a fuck about Valerie, they're just trying to get home, but then they think they see something, they go chasing it, Chris shoots, and again, he's recovered a little bit, we talk about Chris being a dead eye. shoots a deer right in the neck. Comes up on the deer. I love the line. If we were trying, we wouldn't have come close. Polly tumbles down a little hill. Lost his shoe. Can't find it. This, uh, now it's gone from a situation that's shitty and terrible and treacherous on a mob level. But now this is like, now we're, 
we're in the wilderness here, and Polly is at serious risk of frostbite and other problems that are going to come up from this. So sure, they're in, and Christopher's untreated concussion could kill him. Actually, well, yeah, yeah, they're in Even grave though, peril here. Yeah, their ineptitude is funny. It will continue to be mm-hmm. funny, but I get like it's getting it's the sun is setting. It's cold. Yep. They both got issues. Yeah. yeah. So the sun's going to set, it's going to drop 20 degrees, and these guys could die of hypothermia. It's not yeah. good. I wrote, this is actually getting quite dire. I think dire is a great word there. Cut back to Jackie being extremely transparent on the phone, spraying fucking cologne while telling Meadow he has to get his mother's car. Car inspected at night. At night, yeah. which is absurd. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, so he's an asshole. And so these signs, like you said, Paul, these signs are starting to pile up on, on Meadow, and she's no dummy. After she hangs up, that's when we get, we talked about this earlier, but that's when we get, she looks at the, sca- at the Scrabble board, I guess, you know, like there was anything to be gained from saving their spot in this game. You know, like, well, who's going who's gonna to win this one, guys? Uh, I don't know. Poo ass could make a comeback. I don't know. <laughs> he used the. In Scrabble. <laughs> oh. I mean, like, listen, Lily kicks my ass every time we play Scrabble, so I'm not going to sit here and talk shit. Like, I'm not I'm not a Scrabble braggart or anything, but, like, you can't think of something other than the <laughs> shit. Anyway. I got to say on that ass uh, play as well, he also misses the double letter, double word Yeah, he's not, he doesn't even it's put ass even, in a good place. He's not even playing. <laughs> Very fun. Yep. It's getting dark. Polly's foot is numb. They come up on some berries. Chris is starving at this point. Paulie slaps him with his hand away. Oh, that could be poison. You don't know. The one actually smart thing, yes, yeah. that happens. One. They find a truck in the distance. It has no hind wheels, but they run toward it. Paulie yells, Ah, oh, there's fucking gravel under the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Chris's injury is really bad, and this is the first time he's getting a chance to kind of look at it in the yeah. mirror of the van. He's, like, tapping it. It hurts to the touch. It's, like, half his fucking forehead. Like, die-hard shit. Great lines there. This was the discovery of the ketchup packets and the relish. Yep. <laughs> Which, combined together, must be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Cut back to the warmth and comfort of the Soprano dinner compared to the dinner that Chris and Paulie are enjoying. <laughs> AJ gives that dumb joke. Chili today, hot tamale. I like that Tony knew it. Carmela notices that Tony's not eating. I had a late lunch. He's obviously sparing his stomach room for the London broil he's going to have later. Yep. There's yep. a good lie. Yeah, as if somebody doesn't notice that Tony doesn't have a big appetite. Yeah. Yeah, come on. Right. Uh, Nathan's bag under the seat. <laughs> this is one of my favorite lines. I know I keep saying this, but it keeps happening. They keep giving me these classic lines. My, one of my favorite Paulie lines is when Chris says, he could be the one out there stalking us. He says, what, his cock? <laughs> <laughs> They get the, you know, they get find the Nathan's bag ketchups. It's good. Mix it with the relish, and back home to Soprano House. Hugh has glaucoma. Very yes. sad. Yes, uh, which know. is a failure of eyesight as well, right? Mm-hmm. This is another not being able to see clearly kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. I hadn't. I actually hadn't thought of that. The only thing that I thought of was that there's no justice in the universe because if there was, then Hugh DeAngelis would go deaf. So he wouldn't have to listen to his wife uh, truly yeah, hammer yes. on anymore. Oh, Instead, right. he might be in the dark, and she's still going to be talking. <laughs> oh, Ugh. <laughs> that is a sad uh, fate. Tony, he might have been able to pull this off if it were any other thing than my dad has cancer <laughs> of the eye. But uh, he can't, you know, you see it on his face. It's like, yeah, I can't avoid this one. Yeah. All right, yeah, he nods. I'm going to stay. You're not going to have coffee. My father has glaucoma. Yep. He nods. He and she's already she's already mad because yeah. she knows he's trying to leave. So it's it's already kind of ruined. Like, yeah. you know, he can't win anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? He needed to make his decision on that much earlier. Are you staying for dinner? She asked him early in the episode. He needed yeah. to make his decision then. Won't be home tonight. Have a thing to take care of. Yeah, I I'll, I'll eat later with you or something. Yeah. Smooth it over. But he chooses both, which is the problem. You can't choose both. Yeah. You have to choose one. Not that I'm duplicitous in this way that I would ever engage in this kind of behavior, but if I were in Tony's shoes, I would have had I would have come up with a reason to have just not gone home at all that Correct. day. Correct. And Tony, you're so um Tony, you're so skilled in having affairs. You've had them your whole life. You're a, a, a habitual adulterer. Mm. You couldn't navigate this a little better. Mm. You know, but I guess he's so fucked up with everything else going on, he's not focusing. Paulie calls again, again, a lot of cross signals, can't hear all of it. He mentions that they found the truck. 
What the fuck are you talking about? Um, <laughs> Carmela's mother says, uh, gives that funny line, that language, is that necessary? So Tony <laughs> walks into the hallway. He gives a little, Tony, this physicality here, his frustration is growing. That little hop he does, he says, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> it kills Amazing. me every time. It's such a funny, Gandolfini is so good here. At this point, his frustration is breathing through the camera. It's so good. Listeners who have an Italian family member... Any stripe will know that physicality. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, Paulie puts it off on Chris, your nephew. Sometimes you don't think before he acts. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, so such a shit. Just so selfish. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Paulie is the epitome of selfishness. And then you put him in a situation that his actual life is at stake and it's dog eat dog. He, he's, he'll throw anybody under the bus. Sure. Meadow calls Jackie, no answer, straight to voicemail, so she goes to, she's had enough. She goes to a friend, hey, let me, can I borrow your car? We're going to come back to that. Tony's very late. He shows up. What a contrast to the scenery we're getting out in the Pine Barrens, a nice toasty fireplace. The interior is wood. It has kind of like an oak cabin in the yeah, woods, like an oasis from the wilderness. Yeah, money. oh yeah, this is a nice place. Yeah. She's upset. He sits down. He's being affectionate. All things considered... He does a decent job of smoothing us over. Dinner's fucking ruined. She's upset. But he finds a way to get her to relax a little and say, okay. And she leans into him. And again, had nothing else happened the rest of this night, this was salvaged here. Not going to get it. Not going to get that peace and quiet. Cocksucker's got the sniffles. <laughs> and we're here. As Polly pulls up the rug, he's wrapping the, his foot up. He's... Uh, Covering it, using it as a blanket. Paulie's griping about Ralphie. All the money he's made for Tony over these. He, he's, you know, he's mad that Tony's even giving him shit. What did you think was going to happen? But all the money I've made for him and his father over the years. Now all I hear about is cocksucker Ralphie. So something, and he mentioned it in the last episode too. Something's bubbling under here between Paulie and Ralphie that we should be paying attention to. Yeah. I, sh- I shouldn't have even been there. Chris says, uh, we should have stopped at Roy Rogers. <laughs> yeah. And Paulie says, well, I should have fucked L11, but I didn't. A <laughs> Great line, great exchange. <laughs> yeah, it's it's at this point, it's desperation. They call Tony back, and this is like, that's it. We're going to die. We're fucking die. We got to die. We're going to die out here. They're realizing just how fucked they are. Calls Tony. He's relaxed. He's in his robe. She somehow salvaged the London broil. Maybe she had another one in the fridge or she found a way to bring the one she made back to life or, or whatever. <laughs> and uh, he's sitting there comfortable. I mean, he's in that row. That looks great in front of that fireplace with that brandy he was drinking. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, fuck, I'd want to be there. The robe, I think, was her gift to him. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's setting him up as very domesticated. He's yep. at home here. And... Yep, he's cozy. Thankfully, even through the static, they're able to give Tony enough directions Exit fucking 12, Garden State Parkway, Pike's Hollow or some shit. Chris gets that in there. Off near the picnic table. They give him enough information to find at least where Paulie parked his car. So he realizes now when he hears this that, all right, he has to go rescue them. Right. This should have been done hours ago. Right. The problem being he should have gotten involved much earlier. Yes. So he gets up and Gloria, and, and to her credit, although she is dangerous and has issues of her own, I don't think she's wrong for being upset here. No, I'd be hurt too. Yeah, this, uh, anyone, this anyone would be hurt. Yeah, you think you're just going to come over here and fuck me? He says, you know what, I don't have time for this shit. And she calls him a lowlife and says, here, take your fucking dinner. And grabs the London broil and throws it at Tony. Bang, right in the back of the head. There's a look. He can't believe she did that. Yeah, it's, no one's ever, especially a woman, but no one has treated Tony like that, I don't think. He's stunned. But... He doesn't have time to really do anything about it. He decides in the moment, okay, turn and go. Give her a look, turn and go. And then she yells, I fucking hate you, and trashes her dining room. That's a, It's a good trashing, dude. Oh, yeah. She destroys everything on that table. Well acted. Yeah. Mm. It's not an unhinged trashing either. It's a very, like... Deliberate. You know, it's like, yeah. rip, throw. Like, she's not, like, screaming and knocking No, you over. actually, you see every thought in the blocking. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hit, not enough, hit, not enough, grab. Yeah. I guess when they shot the scene, there was one difficulty, which is that she, every time she threw the stake, it would go wide. <laughs> and Buscemi said, let me do it. And he threw the stake and hit Gandolfini 
right <laughs> on the small of the neck. That's the shot. That's Buscemi throwing That's that awesome. stick, which just nails Gandolfini. It's so perfect. Awesome. Actors have a hard time with that. I, I there's a lot of stories like that uh, because you're always taught to care for your fellow actor, and fight blocking is always figuring out ways to not hit each other. So when someone actually needs to get hit with something. I forget what movie it was. I was I remember the story comes to mind where an actor is supposed to throw water in somebody's face and they kept missing. It's like you know you don't your instinct is like oh I shouldn't do this. Mm. So it's <laughs> I, I can believe it. Plus a London broil that was a big steak. Yeah, uh, I, that's hard to chuck. <laughs> you know, but that's very funny. Well, that's good. That yeah, then they did it that way. That's good. I, it, yeah. it all because it is really well acted. Hilarious scene at Junior's. Tony wakes him up. He's still going through chemo, by the way. This is the first we've seen of Junior not in a flashback. We saw him last episode in flashback form where he was vital and kind of with it. This is the diminished Junior, diminished by the events of seasons one and two, uh, the war, and then, of course, the cancer now. What the fuck? I'm up half the night with this chemo anyway. Yeah. So it's not like you woke him up. <laughs> Junior's... What have you been eating? Steak? <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I don't know. Yeah, Can I borrow a shirt? <laughs> then Bobby comes in. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> he is funny, but like... He is the Al Borland, truly, yeah, of yeah. <laughs> the Sopranos. Tony laughs right at him. Laughs right in his face. Junior is like, you know, nonplussed. This show loves to dress up Bobby and yeah, yeah, yeah. it really does. Fuck this, he says. <laughs> Which is even funnier because his like gesture with his hand reveals that he's wearing these adorable mittens. <laughs> so it's like this, <laughs> this angry fat gangster. Fuck this, dressed like the hunter with you know his mittens, not gloves. You know, it's so fucking funny. So prepared uh, though, he's got his orange <laughs> vest. You can spot a mile away. He's got a hunting rifle. We find out later, and a spotlight. He's fucking he's prepared. A, he's a legit. Right. He used to go hunting with his dad every right. year. But he came prepared for this job. <coughs> Tony yeah. doesn't even have a shirt. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so fucking funny. I got my limits too, Junior. So funny. Meadow catches Jackie. I don't know what to say about this, except that it's acted well enough. Meadow's hurt. She's upset, but she knew what was going on. She has a moment where she second guesses herself, but then decides to stay, you know, go for it. And uh, does it the right way. Doesn't give him a chance to give him any, give her any bullshit, give, give her any bullshit. She just like says it. Don't ever call me again. Doesn't let him see her cry. Gets in the car before it gets uh, too bad and pulls away. And Jackie realizes he fucked up. This horror doesn't give a shit. I'm, I'm led to believe this was a prostitute. I don't think he, this is some girl he picked up somewhere. This is somebody, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it is, but. Well, yeah, we don't know. Either way. It shouldn't seem to matter. Yeah, she doesn't give a shit that it's Meadows, that's Tony Soprano's daughter. Yeah, well, that that confirms Jordan's suspicion yeah. from a couple episodes ago that at least in some of this it was seen as an opportunity for advancement. Yeah. Mm. And so when this girl yells out these insults, he says, what are you doing? That's Tony Soprano's daughter. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's bottomed out quite yet, even though Tony says uh, you bottomed out last time. So this is not going to be good once Tony's attention is back on it. So Bobby's a real hunter. We get this very adorable scene, actually, in the midst of all this chaos and stress and tension. Bobby tells us uh, that you know he went hunting once a year with his dad. Gives that very funny joke. We saw we were going hunting, saw a sign that said "bear left," so we went home. It's <laughs> hanging there. Tony doesn't laugh. Doesn't but, laugh at all. But we do. And <laughs> you know, to Tony's credit, I know he just laughed in his fucking face at you know what is it two three in the morning at this point probably. And, uh, you know, he says, you know, listen, uh, he shows genuine appreciation. I appreciate what you've been doing with my uncle. And then Bobby gives this kind of sweet line. He loves you, you know. He talks about you all the time. And uh, I wish he was my uncle sometimes. Aw. Yeah. Had a little, aw, Bobby. Yeah. Bobby's a sweetheart, which is weird because he's a gangster. <laughs> Chris wakes up from a little nap, which he definitely should not be taking with a Correct. potential concussion. Yep. He, especially in the cold. Just never wake up. Sees that uh, Paulie's eating Tic Tacs. They have a fight over it. <laughs> Fucking dying over here. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, I guess Chris didn't have breakfast. Paulie did. And fucking die already, Paulie responds. <laughs> so funny. And then he gets out, and he's had enough. I mean, he hasn't eaten all day. And uh, I'm going to go out and eat some of those berries. I'm telling you, they're poison. Well, fuck it. At least he won't die hungry. And, uh, you know... <laughs> Can't say I necessarily blame him. You want any something, anything. Comes back, takes a piss near Paulie's window. Says, oh, go do that by your own window. I don't want to smell your piss. They fight over it. Fuck you. We're just, right now, we're just, you know, rank or no rank. Right now, we're just two assholes lost in the woods. 
Do yourself a favor, Christy. Go back to fucking sleep. Why? So you could choke me? Pulley gets out. This is escalating. I heard you trying to on the phone with Tony trying to blame this on me. Yep. And boom. They get into it. And Chris gets the gun out first. Chris just first on the draw. Right up. I'll leave you here, you one-shoe cocksucker. Great line. You know I'm faster than you. I'll leave you in the fucking dust. They have this tense moment. This is great acting here. They're freezing. They're crazy. It, and if you want to really marvel at the acting, all of the shit inside the van, I believe, was in a studio. The outside shit they obviously shot outside, but this like so they're like they're shaking, trembling, breathing. That's all. That. That's all yeah. in a studio. That's great. So, yeah. They do match up well. The, oh yeah, yeah, they match. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you can't really see out the windows of the van because they're iced over. There's a reason for that. It's in a studio. But I, I so <laughs> I, I admire the cold acting. Very cool. They really nailed it. Do you really think I'd uh, kill you? Oh, and Chris says, "Yeah, I do." Good boy. Yeah. I was very proud of Chris, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like, trust nobody yeah. in this world. Chris, Especially you're right. Paul. He will kill you. Paulie yeah. will kill you. Yep. He really will. They're both losing their fucking minds at this point. Yeah, this is, at this point, this has become like a Samuel Beckett play. Yeah. This has been like, we are stranded, no one's coming, we're going to be here forever. This is purgatory, basically, yeah. at this point. And yep. Chris is like, has gone into madness. Uh-huh. He's just laughing, that mad laugh. Yep. Right? It's so and good. Paulie shows a moment of vulnerability. Don't leave me here, Chrissy. And he says, I won't leave you, Paulie. And then they get back in the van and, and go through the rest of the night. Tony arrives with Bobby at the park, and we are exposed to the fact that Paulie's car is gone. Which can only be that the Russian used it to escape. That he was able to successfully navigate the path that they could not, likely stole Paulie's car and drove away. We'll never get that answer for sure, but that seems to be the most obvious explanation. Do we think, I mean, uh, well, like you said, we'll never get it answered, but uh, did this Russian get out of these woods in Paulie's car? I, what else could... I, I think so. I that was my personal... A reasonable yeah. assumption, right? The yeah. uh, other uh, idea that's offered at some point is that some kids maybe came by and stole it, which seems completely implausible to me. <laughs> yeah, some right. kids just happened by. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, it has to be that... Kids, I'm thinking... kids would have broken the wind. Teenagers may have broken the wind. Well, I guess people steal cars, but... They wouldn't want that. They wouldn't be out in the Pine Barrens. Yeah, that's... Russian Siberian commando who can do tracks in reverse and operate the vehicle. I I think he's got the car. And he's got his money back. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) It came out okay. He's got his money back and the car. Yeah, Valeri came out on top. (laughs) Yep. Tony's honking the horn, calling Paulie Christopher. Well, what are we going to do? Bobby says nothing we can do. At this point, it's probably 4 or 5 in the morning. It's going to be light soon. Let's just wait till it's light and go in after them. Yep. So they wait. Paulie is back in the van. Life sun's starting to come up. He's tying himself a little makeshift shoe out of the rug. Chris drops the line, Bruno Magli over here, which I love. That's very funny. What is that? What is Bruno Magli? It's a br- shoe brand. It's a brand. Oh, it's like a oh, shoe. Sorry. Bruno Magli. Thank is a, you. Yeah, yeah. It's a designer of shoes and men's shoes. They get out of the van and they say, let's go where I'm not, I'm not stopping until I hit cement. So they're walking and, you know, Bobby and Tony are coming in. They're trying to find their way out. Bobby... Gives this odd line that uh, they didn't need to include, but I'm glad they did, about strange people used to live in these woods, these weird-looking albinos. It kind of adds to the weird... <laughs> I don't know. This episode feels almost like a a, a a twisted fable of sorts. You know, it kind of adds to the weirdness and destitution of this place. They talk about... Paulie and Chris talk about Denny's. First place I'm going is hitting the Denny's. <laughs> get, like, five of those Grand Slam breakfasts. <laughs> Thankfully, Paulie has a has has been fed up and still has a couple bullets left because the reason they're able to be found is he rips off the rug shoe and when it's falling apart he can't his hands won't stop trembling long enough for him to retie the shoe and so he rips it off motherfucker shoots it a bunch of time Chris admonishes him for spending the bullets but Tony and Bobby hear him and he says that's no deer hunter and that is coincidence that gets them out of the situation. I kind of feel like had Pauly not had that moment of just outrage and shooting the shoe, that they yeah. might not have been found. Yeah, they think they would have died out there, honestly. Yeah. Mm. Which is pretty crazy. A lot of, you know, luck, bad luck, bad decisions, but luck was on their side on that one. And that's how this shit happens. It's a good thing. And then the, you know, Bobby shoots off his gun, and they, Pauly, Christopher, and they kind of find each other. They reunite. Did you get the money? It was in the car. <laughs> what do you think? Should we find this guy? Bobby gives the least helpful answer ever. Uh, <laughs> is there any way this guy could have survived? Not likely, but on the other hand, anything's possible. <laughs> Indeed. Say, yeah. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> anything's possible. Especially in this universe. <laughs> this is Batman. They're back in the car. All you had to do was get the money, Paulie. 
<laughs> Tony's just like, he does what a, a good leader, I think, does in the situation. Well, you're a captain. What do you want to do here? And he, gives, he throws the ball to Pauly. Christopher gives... I don't think Christopher's ever been happier to not be a captain in his life. He's just munching on a sandwich, looks right over at Paulie, waiting on the decision. And Paulie says, nah, fuck it, let's go. And Tony lays it out very clearly. He's like, okay, but let's make this clear right here, right now. This guy crawls out from under a rock. This is your problem. You're going to take the heat with Slava. Basically telling you, you know, if this comes back in any way, you're dropping on the sword, not me. Yep. And so this good, is good leadership. Yeah, this is going to be ling, looming over Paul. You have to imagine for for a while, uh, given yeah. how inconclusive this whole thing was. Sure, though resolved nicely. I know we didn't get the Russian; he's probably still out there. But resolved in a way that we can only resolve when Tony's finally giving something his full attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he goes in, he gets them out. He does. He saves them. Yep. Right, and he has a clear head. Finally, being like, all right, if this guy's out there, if this whole thing gets blamed on Pauly, as it should be, and that's finally resolved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seems also an important point at the end that even though they had all these issues... Oh, yeah, they were almost... They had guns at it, pulled on each other. Yeah, the, uh, Chris and Polly. that Chris backs up Polly's lies. Right, the, the <laughs> sucker punch, the lunging narrative. fucking yeah. lunged at us. Yeah, and, and Chris Tony, like, Tony looks okay, right yeah. at Chris, and Chris nods. Yeah. So Chris went to bat for Polly here, even though Polly very easily could have killed him, like, hours ago. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's important. We're wrapping into the final beat here. Sposa son disprezzata is the name of the ra- uh, of the uh, aria we're getting here. It's a very famous opera aria. It's one of the more beautiful female uh, soprano solos, I think, in opera, in my opinion. It's a beautiful song. And we're into, I almost think of it as a coda or an epilogue scene. We're in, brought back into it. I think this is important to note because the series opened on this shot of the statue. So... Mm-hmm. They don't go to this shot lightly here. It's very well placed for a reason. The statue of the goddess outside of Melfi's office. And then we're in the office, and Tony's rant in mid-rant. Because one minute she's fine, the next minute she's a fucking lunatic. I asked you if she seemed happy, and Tony gives the line. And by that I'm supposed to know she's going to throw a fucking roast beef at my head. <laughs> he drops our pull quote. You know, I'm not perfect, but I do the right thing by my family. Doesn't that count for anything? Melfi lays it out again in a little bit clearer terms for him. We need to talk about what drew you to Gloria in the first place. And Arena before her. Depressive personality. Unstable. Impossible to please. Does this sound like anybody, any other, any woman you know? Yep, there it is. And I don't know if it's denial or what, but Tony just shakes his head and the aria resumes. Is it because it's still oblique to him? He can't see it? Is that what we're talking about? I think it's yeah. he willfully does not see. Right? He's got to know. He just he won't allow himself to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's willful blindness here at this point and it's an unfortunate blindness. At this point, the audience has to get it, I feel like. If there was any doubt as to where this is all going and how Tony was drawn to Gloria, these are traits that Describe Livia and Tony's not seeing it or acknowledging what that could possibly mean. Mm-hmm. It's Freudian stuff here that Tony would be very uncomfortable acknowledging or thinking about, which is why he's blocking it out in the sense. But what a somber, impactful ending here, especially going out on this beautiful aria. What do we think? Final thoughts on Pine Barrens? Any last things, uh, comments, or, or issues, or... Anything you want to say about this episode before we close out? Because it's a real banger. This is a great one. Sure, yeah. We titled our episode Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening, which is the title of the famous Robert Frost poem. It's the same one that AJ is studying in Prashai Lavushka, uh, an episode that derives its title from something Svetlana says, uh, a Russian title. In this episode, we're dealing with Russians once again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here we are literally stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening, except this time it's with a, sort of a dangerous purpose. That poem on its surface is uh, simple. It's just uh, a guy, he's lonely, he's, he's driving his, his wagon, and uh, he considers you know, just, just stopping in his journey here by the woods, but he reminds himself, nope, I've got, I've got further to go on. I've got miles to go before I sleep, right? My, my, my journey, my obligations are not yet through. This episode is uh, so symbolically significant because the woods aren't just woods here, right? I mean, yes, they are, and the comedy is great, and the beleaguering situation is so fun to play with. But it's also just like, it is purgatorial, right? It's a place in which you are stuck and you're forced to kind of like ruminate the consequences of your actions, right? Uh, Chris and Polly are there as a direct result of things that they have done. 
right? And they're kind of stuck between life and death in this place. Tony is also caught in a kind of purgatory, and he's not in the literal woods, but he's out in the sort of symbolic woods of his life, lost, unable to really navigate appropriately until he gives something uh, any kind of a singular uh, focus. Uh, Tony himself also acknowledges, you know, the, 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 the pull of his obligations. He can't just stop and rest with Gloria, right? He can't just stop and rest with his family. He's got, he's got miles to go. He's got to keep going on. And um, ultimately, he makes the right choice. He does pull those guys out of the woods and saves them. But, um, you know, th there is at least time, even if it's just this one time in this episode, where you think about staying where you are and you contemplate what it means to feel lost. Mm. I can't add much more to that, except that the quote that I chose is from this last scene where Tony's reflecting on everything. He says, I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect, but I do the right thing by my family. Doesn't that count for anything? So the questions are, are you doing enough? As Jordan phrased it earlier, are you giving enough to each or all? Or do you really need to focus on the one? And what do you mean by family? What concept of family? Which family? Yeah. And all these come together um, or don't really come together in harmony. It's disharmony that defines the episode. And um, it, it really made for an impactful one hour. Electric episode. Thrilling from top to bottom. Great drama, great comedy, really everything you would want out of a Sopranos episode, especially because we're taken into a new element that you never expect. We talked at length earlier about how this doesn't feel like New Jersey. They're really out in the wilderness here, but this that wilderness is there, and these guys really get lost in it, and Tony is lost in, in a wilderness of his own making. Great, great hour of drama, and the note it leaves off on is really going to propel us nicely into an explosive final two episodes, if I may say so myself. These two episodes really upcoming are a hell of a gut punch, and I'm excited for it, but also nervous for it. I've seen these episodes before, and I get nervous thinking about, oh God, what is going to happen with Tony and Gloria and all this going on, and Jackie Jr. spiraling out of control. This episode really launches everything into the stratosphere here. Season three is a killer, man, and Pine Barrens is one of the finest hours in it. I agree fully with everything you guys said. This has been a great one. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we will see you next time for the penultimate episode of season three entitled Amor Fu. I believe it's Frank Renzulli's final writing credit on The Sopranos. We're going to be sad to see him go. But uh, what a note to go out on. It's maybe one of the best episodes in the entire series by my lights so hopefully we'll see you again two sundays from now and uh see you next time everybody don't get lost in the woods i lost my shoe Got myself a girl.